Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. The poster depicts a young woman with long raven hair clad in tattered yellow silk. Behind her, in the background, you see an ominous palace below a white sky dotted with black stars. But Donald, for you specifically, most of this doesn't register to you. Because the moment you turned the corner and saw the poster, you could have sworn that the woman depicted on it was the last person you expected to see painted on a poster on the wall of a Parisian building. Your sister, Cecilia. Let's be honest. We're three art students in Paris. We didn't save the day. Don, do you really think that this is not going to continue to haunt you? Francis, I suppose, uh, Shakespeare, right to the heart. Once more, into the breach, I suppose. (laughs) We few, we very unhappy few. (laughs) We're just going to do the rest of this just in Shakespeare quotes. There's, there's no way any of that perversity could be acted out on a public stage, except, I don't know, maybe in ancient Rome back when they used to use condemned prisoners as actors and murdered them live in the Colosseum. There's a there's a wasp in the room, and I I can't sit while it's buzzing in a corner. I need it. I need it to do something. What difference will it make if I go out looking for it? If it's looking for me, it'll find me. They brought me into their office and introduced me to a to a man, he was, well, he was wearing a mask. Paris, August 18th, 1895. Lucien Valadin sat in the dim candlelight of his Paris apartment, staring down at the poster he had just completed. His eyes were locked on the poster, but they darted up, down, and side to side as he shifted his focus to different parts of the work. The poster depicted a woman clad in tattered yellow silk with long raven hair. Lucien had tried to make her seem, in a sense, romantic, but also menacing and even forlorn. She was a complicated woman, and Lucien had had difficulty capturing her on the poster. Sure, I was given a photo to work from, but but that woman, she's, she's nothing compared to Casilda. She may have been the model, but Casilda put the heart into the work. Lucien's eyes shifted then from the woman to the background, where an ominous palace stood below a white sky dotted with black stars. Lucien found himself staring deeply into the space between the stars, and he knew in that moment that they were coming. The egregores. They know where I am. I need to protect myself. But how? Jumping up, Lucien moved across the room to a drawer beside his bed. He flung it open and pulled out a set of rough sketches on brown paper that he kept there. The client, whoever he is, gave me these, and the egregores work for him. I must destroy these. Yes, yes, that'll help. Without thinking, Lucien crumpled up the sketches and put them directly into his mouth and began to chew. It was harder than it seemed, chewing and swallowing paper, but it had to be done. He had to protect himself. They were coming. When he had swallowed the sketches, Lucien sat back down at his desk and began staring at the poster again. Who was she, he wondered. He knew her name, Casilda, but who was she really? He felt like, in some ways, he knew her better than he knew himself. But in other ways, he didn't know her at all. She seemed distant, otherworldly, even supernatural. But at the same time, he felt like she could be just around the corner. Or in America, perhaps, he thought. Though he had no idea where that thought had come from. Suddenly, he knew the egregores were close. I need to do something else. Yes, something to protect myself. Frantically, he looked around for something, anything that would help. He saw a pair of pliers sitting nearby, and reached for them. Perfect, he thought. Yes, yes, this will help. With one last glance over his shoulder, he reached down with the pliers, grabbed onto his fingernail, and pulled. 
So as we start the second episode, I have to ask, how does it feel to be back playing these characters again? Did you, did you feel like you slipped right back in? Did it take a little getting used to again? That, how do, did they fit like a glove? Like putting on an old shoe. Old Donald Braith, he's always with me. I walk around. I'm a method guy. I'm like Jared Leto. Oh, God. Uh, so I oh, no. suck. Um, but what have you been sending us? God help I, us. Yeah, I send them. I, but it's all 1890s France stuff, so it's nothing. I just walk around and I speak very quietly. He's a dead pheasant. That's the uh, that's the cross promotion between this podcast and uh, and the movies Wow podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can check out the Jared Leto episode and see how I really feel about method actors. <laughs> it's not nice. Oh dear. That's the only oh, episode dear. I ever recorded that afterwards I was like, I texted the the guy that hosts that podcast with and was like, "Were we too mean? Did we go too far?" <laughs> and then he was like, "No, the guy's like a legitimate criminal. It's fine." I was like, oh, yeah. "You're good. You're, you're fine. Yeah, it's we're fine. Really, it's all right." Speaking of legitimate criminals. <laughs> yes, the three of you, how does it feel to be back in the... Uh... <laughs> back in the crime sphere. Oh, no. dear. Uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. I had forgotten how much I, like, which isn't to say, like, oh, I forgot I didn't, like, that I enjoyed season one. No, I knew I enjoyed season one, <laughs> but I had, I had forgotten. I really like the dynamic here of the, if I may say, the four of us. I think mm. we have a very nice... Yeah. Uh, dynamic doing this and uh, so like going back into Monty um, actually was surprisingly easier than I was expecting uh, so I've enjoyed it so far I mean part of that I think is because you are Monty Hogg I think like, yeah it, that's it, right <laughs> that's it. the accent you're doing now is a lie more so than you were Gavin in season three. I really think like you just there are parts of Monty Hogg that I think just have to be that, that have to be Tommy yeah. Whitty Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm the inverse in that, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not the character I'm playing now, and the character you might have heard me play before, folks, if you're listening, <laughs> the legendary Agent Chip Lynch, perhaps a little more in line with some. But I will say that having done another season and now doing this season, and I don't know, I it's 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 strange because when when I had a lot of fun doing uh, season four as well, uh, it was a different group, and I had a different role within the group. Um, in terms of like my, I think I might have been one of the more veteran. I was certainly the most veteran nature of my gamer, but I was also one of the someone who had played. I just played a lot of games, and like I, I enjoyed playing Delta Green and stuff. But I like coming back to this and remembering like, oh, I'm playing with both of you guys, and both of you guys play really like you have good characters, and you both are ex, you know you run games. There's there was like a brief intimidation factor, and it's it's strange, not in the way like oh these I don't. You know, I don't like these two. Like, you, they're Tommy's my brother-in-law. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, there are but when we got there. into the game, I was like, oh, that's right. Wait a minute. Like, like this is a different. It's a different vibe. It's not modern. We're back in France. Mm-hmm. They're in, they get it. They're right there right away. And so, like, I I was not. I I was more self-conscious than I was doing the other seasons, which you'd think like, oh, they're strangers. You'd be more self-conscious, but no, the familiarity and the the remembering of like, oh, season one, we did a good job. Like there's, <laughs> and you tend to think back to it and not think of the things you like. I'm not thinking about the the great Donald Braith moments when I think about season one. Like I, that's I'm thinking about the great stuff Tommy did, the great stuff Emily did, the great stuff even Eric did in getting us there. So even me, he, yeah, <laughs> even <laughs> Eric, even Eric ma- managed a few moments of greatness here Even old, even old Anja. <laughs> <laughs> Even Anja, yes. Who's just Eric's voice, Eric's little girl voice, just Eric. 
talking. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I, it, it is. There's a weird kind of like intimidation factor of like, oh yeah, though no, this is like, not that season four was, was different and I was more comfortable just being like, whatever, because we're having a good time. There's no established level of quality here. Like we're walking in and I'm like, oh, we're picking up a story that I think a lot of people really liked. A lot of people really connected. I know that that last moment with with uh, Monty and, and Francis, I don't know if people, you know, hopefully have yes, listened, but yes, that yes, moment, yes. you know, I was seeing that. It was so cool because it was the first time I was ever involved in something that people paid attention to. And um, <laughs> it was cool to see the, uh, the comments and stuff and see people like citing that scene. That's yeah. like, wow, that really moved me. And and now it's like, oh, yeah, now that's right. And, you know, now here comes uh, 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 Donnie Boy. He's back involved, too, and i got to bring the heat. <laughs> like, I can't I can't do the Chip Lynch thing of just, like, I'm stupid Dale Cooper, and it's fun. Like, i got to <laughs> remember, like, we're, we're, we're in it now, and there's there's a little pressure. Yeah, no, I had a friend who just this week was was commenting that they'd finally listened, and and said, like, the four of you just made really interesting narrative choices every time. And I was like, ooh, that's a fascinating compliment. And, and now I've sat with it for a couple of days, and I'm like, oh, God, now I have to make narrative choices. I think you have to ignore any of that, right? Like, I think, yes, you, absolutely. I think yeah. you have to, yeah. otherwise you're, like, trying too hard. Yep. Emily, I don't want you to feel left out in this conversation <laughs> because, you know, both Monty or both uh, Tommy and Mikey are talking about this compared to other characters. A little bit of breaking news <laughs> that I'll, I'll just share here. We're in the very early stages beep, beep, of beep, 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 planning beep, beep, for... For an upcoming season that Emily will be will be on with a new character, so oh, so you cool. won't be left out for long. Very exciting. Yeah, awesome. You got your A players. <laughs> you got your A players. <laughs> um, I will say as well that like the pertaining to this particular question, it's funny because the gap in between recording season one and coming back has meant that like there was a, a weekend where I got very intensely into Francis's head, and then it was over. And then yep. there was basically yep. a year where I was sitting with her post that mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I think of her in in terms of like solo things, like my, her internal life, all of these things that have been happening with her. And for me, the tricky thing has been remembering that feel of like the interaction with, with the two of you and how that dynamic comes back together, which I think it is. Um, but it's it's that funny little like extra factor some might call it an X factor <laughs> that, uh, that yeah, isn't going to exist in my head. And and part of the collaborative nature of a role playing game is is getting back into that collaboration. That's why method acting is bullshit. There's other people on the set. <laughs> to be fair, right. real method acting has nothing to do well, yeah. <laughs> with right. what Real method there. acting is very, the real method <laughs> is like five, six layers deep. And it only anyone ever reads the first one and says like, that's enough. Because that's all that got published originally. But no, there's, there's right. a great new book that just came out about it that I want to read. But like, and it has nothing to do with walking around on crutches. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not sending used condoms to the lady who's playing Amanda <laughs> no. Waller. Because you're the Joker. Whoa, watch out. He's on the prowl, ladies and gentlemen. Also, I just (laughs) want to say, after praising season one and being like, and then if Sarah and Lindsay from season four are listening, I had a great time. Like, it's not, like, I just, I'm still so shook by halfway through a season, you know, folks, you're listening, you know, know, I'm doing the Dr. Goofy act, you know who I am. To find out someone (laughs) in the season was like, yeah, it really bothers me to no end when people try to be funny. It makes me... 
furious. <laughs> I hate anyone who tries to be funny. I, I have never, it was an out of body experience. <laughs> because I'm a person who really likes, I like making people laugh. And like, I had noticed, like, I notice when I make people laugh. Like, I, I, I'll be like, okay, they like, they think it's funny. So I'm not gonna, I'm not just blindly doing things. I, I do try to read social cues. <laughs> So to find, like, about episode five or so, I don't remember when it was, she to just be like, yeah, I don't like comedy at all. And when people try to be funny, it makes me really uncomfortable. I was like, oh, my God. Like, what? Like, I don't know. I was like, I, but, but I'm, you've been laughing at stuff I've done. Like, I had in that moment, like, I had to even, even then with a microphone in front of my face, had to be so insecure to be like, but you don't mean me, right? Like, I can't. <laughs> my brain is please. not going to allow me to move on. It's going to be, we're doing the episode and it'll just be like, and then Chip actually thinks for a minute because Mike needs to ask Sarah a question again. So <laughs> I wasn't, it just, it, it messed me up to know Chip, him. Chip Lynch died that day. Yeah, Chip Lynch died. <laughs> Mike Krennic died and Chip Lynch lived. <laughs> <laughs> what you should take heart in is that in addition to being someone who really gets uncomfortable when people are trying to, when the, when she thinks people are trying to be funny, Sarah is also the nicest human being oh, in the entire world. <laughs> so she'd fake and, laugh. Thanks, man. No, 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 the, the, no, the, the, the opposite, because I, she would never she have said, I hate when people try to be funny oh, okay. if she thought you were trying to be funny. Okay, which means that okay. she didn't get, she didn't think you were trying to be funny. She just thought you were funny. Naturally, which is, funny. Which is well, naturally good. Which funny. Is good. <laughs> Difference between actually being funny and like trying, but have like kind of pushing it and like, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. always <laughs> trying as I, every time I'm open. No, and I, it is true. I think, and I think that people who are naturally funny, because I mean, I don't, I don't associate with people who aren't as mean as that is. But I'm 36 <laughs> years old. What am I going to do? Waste my time? Someone who's trying to be funny half the time. Naturally, funny people don't try. Like, Tommy does not try. My brother Tyler does not try. Like, these are people who I think are really, really, truly, truly funny. And they're, quote, unquote, trying to be funny in that, like, Tommy knows when he's speaking, he's going to try to make people laugh. Like, when a comedian, like I, Bill Burr's podcast, when he just does, like, the whole just talking nonstop, where I got the idea. <laughs> like, he's, quote, unquote, not trying to be funny. He's just talking about what he's thinking. But it's funny because of the way the filters through which you're processing things. I, you know, so so that's good to know. I thought you were telling me she was nice because you were going to be like, yeah, no, she texted me afterwards. <laughs> she thought you were so terrible. Like, I was just being nice. Terrible. That guy is the worst. <laughs> suffering, suffering. This relates to nothing and will be the final tangent. Uh, my, uh, my, I just, I, you've said your character's name from season four a couple of times up until now. Until this discussion, I legitimately thought your character's name was Chipwitch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Same thought. Same thought. It was. I was Chipwitch. You were a witch, in fact, yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I had a big green nose. No, it's Lazy Peek Behind the Curtain. It's, it was Chip because I was thinking of Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks, and I said, well, okay, Dale instead of Chip. And then David Lynch directed <laughs> Tweed Peaks, so that's why you get it. Chip Lynch. Chip perfect. Lynch, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Makes perfect, perfect sense. You were, you were not, in fact, eating a Chip Witch and going, you know, it would be a really good character. I'd name. like to be one of these. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wouldn't we all, though, really, yeah, at the end of the really, day? Yeah. A great Chip yes. Witch. Mm, can't be beat. Mm. But you, I, you can't, yeah, I would want to be the person eating the great Chip Witch. You know, that's my... Fair. <laughs> not creating the great Chip Witch? No, I don't want to. I want to seize, seize the means of production of Chip Witches. <laughs> Chip Witches. <laughs> that's the true victory. 
All right. Well, there's no way. There's no way of of, of seamlessly transitioning <laughs> no, from all of no. that. So we're just going to dive back in. <laughs> a better podcast host than me probably could pull it off, but uh, mm-hmm. we're just going to dive right back in. So our American art students in Paris have stumbled upon after after six months has passed since anything too terribly unsettling has happened to them. They have stumbled upon what seems to be a production of a an opera that is related to the strange things that were happening to them before. They saw a poster. Donald's sister might be on the poster or maybe is not on the poster. And in the background, there are black stars on a white sky. And so after a little bit of a discussion about why they might continue to investigate such things, which might bring about their their inevitable demise, they decided... (laughs) They decided to... Uh, follow up on a uh, a librettist who Donald knew who wrote the play or wrote the um the opera that this this poster is advertising and they were discussing with him and he he initially said that he that it was all his idea uh but with a little bit of reassurance from Monty and a little bit of a little bit of uh, sweet talking from from Francis they got him to reveal actually that that the the opera the the writing of the opera is horrific and that it wasn't his idea that he was brought into an office by the the administrators of the opera to meet with a masked man and that is where we are going to pick back up and so Marcel Brisson who is this librettist says that Larsenu and Picou who's the the general manager brought him into their office where I met a a, a man a strange man he he was disguising his appearance in some way. He, w- he was wearing a mask, and he, he dictated the, the text to me of the, the opera over a series of sessions. And you can tell that he, he looks traumatized even thinking about the experience. I'll also say that as soon as he mentions a man in a mask, uh, Frances stopped sketching, but she has charcoal in her hand. And when he says a man in a mask, she breaks it in her hand and doesn't say anything, but is shooketh. Yes. Yes indeed. Do you do you know anything about that that man, the masked man, the the mysterious uh, I would assume he was the, the the patron, the he was funding the the play? Yes, I, I think he has some sort of hold on Larsenu and, and Picou. The opera was his idea and and casting that that poor talentless girl I think was his idea too. My sister. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you speak that way about maybe my sister? <laughs> I I actually and he like he looks nervous and like kind of like cowers in in his seat but says I I think I I think I might know who he is even though he was trying to obviously conceal his identity. I I saw him come out of a a box at one point, one of the boxes in the theater, mask and all. It was it was this is the Phantom du- du- of the Opera. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> During this conversation, I wonder how, I wonder how long on, it would take. Yeah. God, he dictated to me a play. Don Juan. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deep cut. Okay. Nope. I'm there with it. The the box is owned okay. by uh, by the the Duke de Rudier. Uh, he's a he's a wealthy man, a, a patron of the arts, and a, a well known disciple of de Sade, in fact. And so I don't know who else could have influenced such a horrific work as this. It it, it must be him. You think it's it's the the duke in the mask? 
it, it has to be. I saw him coming out of his box, and he's he's known for his his proclivities for such horrors. Now, would my uh, I have uh, official dumb? Would that be more about how it works as opposed to like who the nobility is, or would I have knowledge of this guy? Yeah, I think officialdom is more is more like the government. I actually the think bro- like France... the bureaucratic. One. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have society. I, think... I might know him if he's a high society. Society, yeah, then yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a wealthy he's a wealthy patron of the arts. He is also Francis. You would know that he is widely loathed for his arrogance and for flaunting his indiscretions. And actually, Monty, you also have heard of Duke de Rudier because in the Demi Monde, he is known for his sadistic tastes, um, and he often visits houses that specialize in that in those lines of service. A real good guy, this Duke de Rudier. <laughs> well, let's not judge him. Let's not kink shame. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as everybody's consenting. Weird that a disciple of Desaad would be sadistic. How very strange. I know, yes, yes. Yeah, it's not about the act, it's about the intent. If he's doing it, you know, just to have a little, you know, everyone's <laughs> consenting, it's fun. Exactly. Yeah. Then I don't want to kink shame anyone who likes all that crazy weird stuff, but <laughs> I don't want to kink shame any of the disgusting degenerates listening to this program. However, <laughs> he set me down, this this man in the mask, and he, he worked from memory, but he said he, he was recalling something from a play. He wanted to go even further, but I, I, I honestly, I couldn't even bring myself to continue to write down such horrific contents. It got so bad that I started leaking something from my ears, and that's when he, ugh, he like shivered. He says, that's when I, that's when he relented. He said the opera would still be, I don't know, sufficiently powerful if it ended at the play's halfway point. The fluid leaking from your ears, was that yellow? No, it was, it was clear, and it was oddly sweet. I, I, I can't even, I can't even remember it. You tasted it? Donald's definitely starting to get frustrated. Like, he just he just wants to, like, be like, oh, yeah, I, I bet you're going to say the sky and scar. Like, he's just sick of it. Speaking of clear <laughs> and sweet, did you, uh, Don, did you happen to, to fix this man a cup of something or other? <laughs> I did. Here's his coffee. And he grabs it, and he's like, his hands are shaking so much that the, the coffee cup is, like, clinking on the saucer, and he, like, spills it over the side, and he tries to drink some, and it burns his mouth, and he's just, he's a real mess. Oh, Jesus. Perfect Jesus. thing to calm your nerves, a cup of highly caffeinated coffee. <laughs> I, <laughs> what he asked Please. For. <laughs> Traditional. Enjoy that. Um, uh, Don uh, and, and, and Francis, uh, do we have all the information that we need for our... Ah, uh, peace. I feel like I am satisfied with the uh, the information we have gathered, and of course, again, Marcel, you you told us many of these things in confidence. I, we will only be giving a little bit of information just to kind of get people interested in in the show. If it does indeed go up, it sounds like you have your concerns about it. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, we will be going, and uh, you have a lovely rest of your day. Before they leave, Donald looks at me just. Um... Do you have anywhere outside of Paris to go? Yes, I, my family lives in outside outside of Paris in, in the countryside. I, I could go there. I would go to them as soon as possible. Just man to man. I would do that post haste. And he, Donald just leaves, doesn't care that he just frightened him further. He just leaves. <laughs> he like he just kind of nods and doesn't even watch the three of you walk out of the apartment. He's just kind of like looking down and sipping the coffee. That young man is is 
deep into something that he has no business being involved in, much uh, like we currently are. I still don't understand how we are allowing ourselves once again to walk blindly back into this kiln, but I've made my hesitations known, so I, I defer to the wisdom of the group. Where to next? Don, you remember what happened in the cathedral. There was some sort of otherworldly power there, and they were trying to do something with it that would spread, I think, to the people of Paris. It sounds as if we are up against a new iteration of the same concept. Something is, someone is trying to make something happen that is not simply going to have consequences for a small handful of people or even just for us. It will potentially be consequential for perhaps all of the city, all of the city of Paris, not to be dramatic, but perhaps even the world. I and I quite like both Paris and the world. I don't want anything to happen to either of those. I'm in them. Yes. I'd like to keep being in them. We failed to see how the responsibility of the protection of the entire world or Paris or life as we know it falls to three art students. Because if we don't do it, Don, who will? Then he just kind of, that that point, like the Monty knew, like that's logic and that's that is going to work. So he just kind of like nods and, and starts to move along with them. What do you think is, is, is there a tension in Donald's head right now? I mean, I, I hear the words that he's saying and they, they make, they make sense coming from him. Is there a tension between, Oh yeah, like mm -hmm. the, the thing with his sister has to be kind of That's continuing to push to, up yeah. against. Yeah. If he leaned into the, the things that maybe he is, you know, the, the experiences of those nights and now, or that night, excuse me. And now kind of, even if like his mind has been opened a little bit, which I think it was by force, but he's just not walking through that door that was opened. Cause I think that if he walked through that door that was opened, he would become singularly obsessed with like finding out who that actress is. And he like, wouldn't care about the play anymore. And like, understands that like, that's not only now do I feel like this whole thing is stupid. But if I lean into this, like, I'm going to leave all of these other threads behind. I'm going to just get singularly obsessed with this one thing. So let me just paint a broad brush and say it's all dumb to kind of fight in yeah. my head the, the urge. Yeah, I like the idea there's a seed in him that's just like there there is desperation to avoid all of the weirdness. Yeah, exactly. And that that's what it is, a, yeah. There's that part of him that for for the even for the fact that he went over to America and was looking for answers about his sister, there's a part of him deep inside that was actually relieved he didn't find anything. Yeah, yeah. That's why he told what's his name to leave because like that mm -hmm. is his best advice he could give to someone in that scenario. It's not like gird your loins and 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 it's just you go away and don't get involved because I wish that I had never gotten involved. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, like, he just would have, like, the whole thing with his sister wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have done any of this. And that's mm -hmm. still his, in his head, sure. it's still like, if that, like, what, this is all crazy stuff and I don't need to be involved in it. But he obviously does. I can't just leave the game. <laughs> <laughs> Francis would, would, would find her old walking stick and, and, like, take you out before you left again. <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that they both, they both probably are, are, that it's it's a thing that they're probably relatively used to in that like I don't think that they've talked about it, but my guess would be anytime any kind of like like even in the the glimmers of like, oh let's do this little adventure thing, like I bet you Donald has been kind of obstinate about this stuff from the next night onward. So like I'm sure that they're at least to some degree used to it where it's like, okay, like we know 
Like, it's not a surprise, I imagine, that he's kind of digging his feet in and it's like, I don't want to do this. Why? You're making me do this. I don't want to do it. Like, I can't imagine that's a surprise to Monty and Francis. But he never actually walks away, I think, is the... No, the, no, that's right. the other thing they know. Is <laughs> they that know he, that, that he's that he not going to go anywhere. Absolutely, yeah, he could just leave at any point. You just kind of have to make him think that he's making the decision, like a cat. Um, <laughs> what, what do we want our next steps to be here? We have a number of different points of contact, a number of possible leads. We have the artistic director. We have our, our friend, the set painter. We might even be able to find the composer. We have the Duke himself, if we could find some way to get in touch with him and investigate him. Uh, the theater. I mean, there's so many places we could potentially go to continue our research. We can go straight to Desaad, Monty. We could go straight to <laughs> the I believe Marquee Mr. Desaad passed away a while long, ago. Long <laughs> oh, but that means so little in, in this in this strange and weird world we live in. I've read his works. I'm sure he's very happy to be dead, and I'm sure his <laughs> disciples are doing things with his corpse. So everything's fine. When you put it that way, I think we'll avoid the gravesite. Fair enough. I would. My first thought is... We have to stop the production somehow. Is is there something that I'm I'm missing? What it what is our aim? How can we what do we think we need to do here? Only one copy of the libretto exists. True. I believe the power of these things, based on based on what we've seen before, I think we need to find the libretto and destroy it. And I think we have to somehow prevent this masked man, if he is indeed the Duke, from potentially producing another one. Now, I don't know how we would do that. We've, we've taken matters into our own hands with other people who have been attempting to do these things before. I don't relish doing that. But at the same time, I know I'm capable of doing that if uh, push comes to shove, I suppose. We are speaking about a book, a libretto, an opera, a, a, a boring six-hour slog through, <laughs> Some through of high, trill soprano notes. And, and, and I, I don't, I, 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 I am more than happy, Monty, more than happy to destroy this libretto. It would give me no uh, uh, hesitation whatsoever to throw to it directly. Strike a blow against opera. I would be happy to destroy each and every libretto that exists. <laughs> but I remind us both that while we have certainly encountered unnatural sights, to to assume that 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 this 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 libretto has the power to control the why just find it all so and he just kind of he just walks He's not walking away. He's just like shaking his head. Just, I don't want to be involved in this planning. This is stupid. It's all dumb. The thing that I've, I've been struck by is I watched you both in, God, February. You got, got bit, both of you. And something happened. And we managed to stop it primarily because of some well-timed flesh gouging and application of a salve, but... It feels like this whole thing is an infection. It feels like something that if it gets out, it can't be stopped. And in what we saw, it, it was an infection from that from that creature. But I get the sense from what Calvin talked about, from, from some of those papers that we saw, the art that we saw, even the images feel dangerous. I don't... It feels like if this gets on stage, that's the problem. Even if it is 
just an opera. I mean, I think we all know art has power. So I think that just hearing hearing Francis say that would kind of make Don stop, and he turns and he says, "Well, if if we think these incidents are related, if we if we think we we are dealing with once again the same disease that infected Paris that night, we we have a respected uh, uh, expert in the field right here in this very city. They go and speak to Father Sicard and see if he has." any sense of what this has to do with anything. Because if we're talking about that night and the bite and the solve and all the things we did to solve uh, uh, those issues, that all began and ended in that damned cathedral. I suppose there is a possibility that Father Sicard may be aware of either other, other unnatural events or perhaps some sort of source of these events. I do think, uh, I, I do take what Francis has said um, well to heart, as I believe if if this is some sort of infection, then we know infection has to be treated in order to be cured, and uh, perhaps the, we must serve as the, the treatment, uh, wipe out the infection at its source. Do a gouging of our own, as it were. Possibly. I mean, it, it does sound from what we've learned that this Duke de Rudier is this, has, has, I don't know, is, is our typhoid duke I, I don't know if we know about typhoid mary right now um <laughs> I I'll, I'll just say it it seems as though this duke is where is the wellspring of the moment much like Cabot was the wellspring exactly six months ago and we saw what plugging that did maybe we didn't plug it all maybe some bits dribbled I don't I don't like this. Maybe metaphor. there is no wellspring. Maybe this is bigger than all of us and too large for, for our simple, feeble minds to try to comprehend it. Maybe every minute that we spend standing here trying to solve this cosmic problem is a wasted minute. And now he really does just kind of walk to the other like he's just now he's just mad because he participated for a minute and then he got mad at himself for asking to go see like he <laughs> he doesn't want to go see the priest he doesn't want to do that stuff like and he got mad that he he had an idea so now he's really frustrated with himself more so than anything <laughs> so i imagine that donald kind of maybe even walks down the stairs of the apartment building mm -hmm. and leaves francis and monty to kind of decide what the next step is because I, it, to me it seems like donald has made it clear that he'll follow along wherever wherever it leads and he realizes he's probably just throwing, he's making it worse for them. And he does like them both. He's not genuinely mad at either of them. So he realizes like he's making it difficult. So he's just going to remove himself from the situation. Which frustrates Frances. Like she's, she's pissed. She really doesn't appreciate Donald, Donald walking away. Um, as much as she logically can extrapolate the reasons why he would be. So yeah, I guess if we're, we're still up in that, in that hallway, she's just going to sigh and well lovely I, I do think Monty that there's a, there's a point there which is that wasting time helps nothing I think I think he's right I think we should go I think we should do things until we can't do things anymore <sighs> do you have a place that you'd like to start well I had not planned to speak to Father Sicard and I don't know how much he won't actually know about this I'm wondering if um we should accompany our friend to see uh, the good priest, or if we should let him uh, take that matter into his own hands and go there on his own while we follow up on a different lead. I mean, I don't know Father Sicard, I think half as well as Donald does. 
Nora. He's going to talk to any of us. It's probably Donald he'd want to talk to. I don't know if they've kept in contact, even. Indeed. <sighs> Perhaps I, I'm, I'm happy to follow up on any particular lead, uh, because any of them could be of use to us. So I'm happy to go wherever you feel may be uh, the wisest thread to, to follow. And we can encourage Donald to uh, see Father Sicard if he feels that there he, he may be able to either receive useful information or some degree of consolation from him. Certainly. With that in mind, it might be best to go to the Palais Garnier. It's an easy rendezvous point. It's somewhere where plenty of these players are likely to be. Shall we, um, you know, perhaps... Perhaps maintaining our original plan, even with our new information, is the best course of action. We can speak to our, our friend, the set painter, Certainly. see how this is coming together, and then work our way up the chain, if at all possible. He may even be able to introduce us to the... I'm, I've heard, certainly, of the uh, artistic director of the Pellier Garnier, but uh, I have not met him myself. So perhaps uh, we can be introduced by way of... Uh, <laughs> Monsieur La, La, Lassouche. yes. Monty, have you ever been to the opera? I have, yes, indeed. Uh, I have experienced the operatic arts. I have read a number of librettos as well. Um, I'm not going to say it's entirely not for me. There are some fantastic stories being told, but it is a bit overlong in, in its presentation, in my opinion. That's fair, that's fair. Um, I went once. Uh, my Aunt Helen goes. I went with her once. I quite liked it. I thought it was lovely. I liked the bit where suddenly, for no reason, there was a ballet in the middle. I thought that was fun. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, I'm glad there's still appreciators of the operatic arts, even if I don't find myself on that particular side. Some, some, some of us. Some of us, sure. I certainly don't know much. All right. but Shall we have a word nice. with our friend Donald? Assuming he's still uh, there. And if I may, Francis, I know... Um, Mm. I, far be it from me, please, far be it from me to tell you anything ever what to do. But it, it looked as though you were uh, understandably um, put off by what our good friend just did, which is understandable. And I, I may just say, if you have anything to say to him, you should probably just say it. Better out than in. Um, I guess we will go down the stairs to, uh, to see if Don is, is there, out standing outside or wherever. He is. He's standing there. Okay. <laughs> Where to? Don, we've been talking. Both Francis and I are in agreement that we would like to go to the Pelier Garnier to continue our investigation there. However, we do understand um, your desire to see, uh, potentially see, uh, Father Sicard. Um, if you would like to do so, uh, the two of you have a closer relationship than either Francis or I. So uh, if you would like to do that and then perhaps meet us at the theater... I'll see you at the theater then. And he just turns and, and begins to quickly walk away. So the theater is kind of on the opposite side of the Seine from the Latin Quarter where you are now. And so you're kind of going in the same direction, but, but Donald heads off to the Ile de la Cité uh, ahead of the other two. Donald, are you planning to go see Father Sicard? Um, I'm gonna go to the church and then see how I feel when I'm standing outside. Fair. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> uh, so you you do head over there. It's you know late afternoon-ish, uh, still pretty busy. There's an evening service that's getting ready to begin. Uh, the crowd is the crowd is pretty full in the plaza. Maurice Frenet, the uh, the gendarme, 
is is one of the gendarmes that, that is that is currently in the plaza. Is he wearing fine clothes now? Oh yes, it seems like he's Beautiful. he he used oh, the yeah. the the nice gift that was given to him by Monty to upgrade his outfit a bit. Lovely. So I think he would kind of like look up at the the cathedral, look at the door, just kind of like remember everything and think about that that poster and realize like the closest I ever came, the only person who ever really understood and believed, like even though it's I really don't want to do this, like he's the person that believed me. So and I I make I I walk in. All right, so people are sitting down to pray before mass starts, and you see that Father Sicard is up near the front, kind of preparing for the service. Uh, he seems to be the one that that will be do that will be saying the mass. So I will uh, just for we can do it. We're going to do it in real time, folks. Here we go. We're going to do a mass, <laughs> a Parisian <laughs> yes. mass. A pre-Vatican II Parisian mass. If it looks like it's starting and he is already hesitant and he's not like in that like I'm just gonna blurt things out mode, he would probably sit down if and just be like, oh well, I'll get him at the end. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in any rush to be anywhere but here. This is a good excuse to just sit. Sounds good. Okay, so you sit down to attend uh, to attend the service. Uh, meanwhile, love it, love this for Donald. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's in Latin too. <laughs> oh yeah, it for she sure does is. Not speak. <laughs> not Catholic. <laughs> no. Does it really Jewish. Know? <laughs> Love it. And those Latin masses, they whisper half of it. So you've got yeah, a long wait, a long quiet lost. wait. <laughs> yeah, Father Sicard is facing the other direction. Yep. You can barely hear him. Yeah. <laughs> He's not sure it's him. So you've got some some reflection time there, bud. <laughs> I remember him speaking English. What's happening? <laughs> so, so, uh, so, Monty and Francis, you make your way across the Seine over back into the neighborhood where the Palais Garnier is. And as you arrive, uh, the Palais Garnier is a mishmash of architectural styles in the most grand way possible. The main facade displays a bounty of paintings, mosaics, and most importantly, sculptures. Two gilded sculptures representing harmony and poetry crown the apexes of the main facade's left and right flanks, while a statue of Apollo himself stands atop the domed center of the building. When you picture the platonic ideal of an opera house, you probably picture this one. <laughs> I do love excess. Yes, yes, it is, it is nothing if not full of excess. There are people all over the place uh, kind of milling about the plaza in the same way that they are doing in the cathedral. And you see that there are advertisements for the play that, or the, the opera that is currently in production, which is uh, an opera called Elle, H-E-L-L-E. I do quite like opera, and I've not heard of this one, and I don't know if it's because I'm ignorant or because it's fictional. <laughs> Could go either way. Yeah, I think Donald. Yeah, I think Donald's the one that knows about this. So neither of you recognize the name of the. Neither, neither of you recognize the opera that you uh, that that is currently being performed. Francis wouldn't. <laughs> as long as the poster's catchy. And again, it, it's late afternoon, and so you know the the performance is probably early. You know, it's probably in a few hours from now. But there are people milling about. You would guess that um, Xavier Lasouche is potentially inside working. Yeah, where do they build their sets for the opera house? In the, the back. In-house facilities? Or do they? Okay. <laughs> We're going with in the back. I love it. I love it. 
Um, Monty, should we... I mean, here's our first question. Do we do we go in the front? Or do we try to try to summon some sort of back alley artist entrance? I suspect um, we know our friend is a set painter. I use our friend in the loosest terms here. <laughs> Acquaintance. We've had Person drinks. we know of. Uh, <laughs> um, I think we could find... A side entrance for the, um, what are they, the, the, the set techs, um, and the yes, actors I'm sure they and, use the word and those folks. Yes, <laughs> that they use techs for, at, at that time, which stands for the architects of the, yes. of the set. Um, and find them and, and uh, you know, I, I don't... I know they can be a little bit, uh, a little bit standoffish, but I suppose if we just say, "Oh, you know, we are looking for a friend. We wanted to talk to him a little bit. You know, is he, is he busy?" I doubt that they would be have too much objection to us going in a side entrance. I think you're probably right. We're charming. We're affable. Absolutely. We can open doors. Yes. And I'm not exactly dressed for the front door, so let's do Nor it. Nor am I. That's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you you two kind of make your way around back. You find uh, kind of a staff entrance that you make your way into, ask around for Xavier, and you're able to find him. He seems to be taking a break from his work in the in the back room where they're working on the set for the upcoming production of of Casilda, and he's kind of sitting on some some spare plywood, puffing on a pipe. <laughs> I don't, how does one begin you <laughs> I was going to say, for, for, uh, as much as we discussed our approach to the theater itself, I realize I have no, no idea no. how to approach this conversation. No, no. Uh, <laughs> let's, sally, let's sally forth and hope for the best. Perhaps, yeah, we, 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 when we find him, um, I will uh, kind of uh, catch his eye, hopefully, and just kind of, Xavier, Xavier, uh, Monsieur Lesouche, if you don't mind. Uh, sir, how are you doing? He takes kind of a deep sigh and a puff on his pipe. He says, just doing the work that I've been assigned. How are the two of you, Francis? It's good to see you again. Indeed. It's been too long. It's been quite some time, actually, since we, we got to see you at the ye oldie fatted calf. Yes, yes, I have been been working quite long hours. Uh, I'll, I'll say I haven't been at Le Gras in quite a few quite a few weeks. What brings the two of you into my sphere here in the, <laughs> the, the backstage areas of the Palais Garnier? I mean I must admit I, I I'm just a little bit curious. I've never been back here before. It's busy, it's exciting, there's so many people. Um Is it everything you dreamed it would be? Oh, and more. To be honest, I I mean you I've I've seen your work. I love your work. Well, thank you. It is, if I do say so myself, quite good. I, 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 I will say I'm a. Do you think that I am ready to move on from this set design work and into something a bit more artistic? But you know, one has to pay the bills. Ah, oh, certainly. Is there anything that's prompted you to to move on, or is it just time? I mean, how's the current production going? It's fine. I, I don't. The work is not to my taste. I prefer to be a bit more independent. In, in my mm. work, I prefer to not have someone looking over my shoulder all the time, making sure that I'm doing it exactly the oh, way that no. it's supposed to go. But, you know, that's that's any artist, right? We would love oh, to be course. as independent as we could be. Oof. I didn't think that was how it worked here. I always thought in the past you talked about 
getting to, to put your mark on things and, and how that was such a wonderful, ever-changing creative endeavor. And, and now that it's paint by paint by direction? It sure seems that way. Uh, the, hmm. I don't know, the the artistic director, I don't know if you know him, Larsenu, he... Hmm. He keeps coming around, giving me specific instructions. He's never he's never done it before, but I, I think it, I think his orders are coming from elsewhere. Uh, whoever's actually in charge of this whole thing, it seems like they're pretty fussy. Mm, gosh, fussier than an artistic director. That's <laughs> that's gonna be well, saying and it, something. It, and the the combination of the the combination of the artistic director passing on the messages of this person mm. is a it's a real it's a real challenge. Make the stars black, not white. The sky white, not black. It's it's all it's all nonsense. It's strange, very strange. I mean, is are, is he at least enthusiastic for the process, or is he just some sort of strange middleman? He seems. Well, I don't know. Have either of you ever met Larsenu? I don't know that I have. Can't say as I have, sir. He is. He's someone who. He likes to make everyone happy. If if. If you uh, if you catch my drift, he he's a people pleaser. He's the he's the face of the operation, and so it seems like whatever is happening with this particular production is really stretching him thin in trying to make sure that everyone's happy. Hmm. Very curious. Very unusual. While, if you don't mind, while um, Francis is kind of having the primary one involved in the conversation with uh, with Xavier. Um, could I just kind of stand back a bit and just kind of get try to get a sense of any set pieces that are up being painted have been painted just to see what they look like and see you know what's what's been done sure there's it's not a complete scene but you see you see a palace you see a lake you definitely see black stars on a white sky the scene seems to be some sort of I don't know maybe like royal land with a lake and a palace it's like a big backdrop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I I admit, Xavier, I've I've heard, you know how the rumor mill works. I have heard rumblings about this production. I heard that the soprano was troubled as far as her performance is going. Have you gotten wind of any of that? He kind of rolls his eyes. He says, "Well, Francis, we can't all be as talented <laughs> in our chosen field as as you and I are." Uh, yes, she's, she's a, a bit rough, uh, mm. though improving, I believe. If you, if you'd like to hear her, you should stick around. She's playing one of the minor roles in L.A. She's, I don't know whether it's supposed to be practice for her, her big, uh, star debut in Casilda, but yes, she's, she's in the current production as well, if you wanted to stick around. Is she some sort of newcomer? How does she, how has she gotten into, to this if she's not qualified? She's been in the chorus before. I, you know, I, I know her, and she's she never struck me as anything special. But all of a sudden, she was given this minor role in L.A. and has been plastered on posters all over town How as the that? star of as the star of Casilda. I mean, one doesn't want to cast aspersions, but hmm, that's not a it's not a good look. Yes, well, perhaps she'll be ready to go by the time the production actually starts. We still haven't gotten word of when that will be. I was, you know, honestly, we saw a poster. And we, we noticed it was very coming soon to a to an opera house near you. Um, or not actually quite specifically this opera house. <laughs> this specific <laughs> opera house. <laughs> because that's how it works. <laughs> um, gosh. Yeah, we, we, we noticed that it didn't have any specifics, really, beyond a catchy, a catchy look. 
yes, uh, I, I don't have any more information than than has been has been uh, shared with the public. I believe I'm just I'm just a simple set designer who is working to make a living back here. The uh, if you don't mind me saying so, the yellow on the poster was very striking. Um, is that is that a color that's been used um, throughout the set as well, or is it mostly the? Uh, I see the, this lovely palace over here. The um, this, this lake and all of these pieces, um, is yellow being used, uh, prominently at all? Yes, it's very off-putting, wouldn't you say? Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's almost, um, it's al- almost a sickening quality to it, which I, perhaps that is the intention, far be for, for me to question the artistic design of the show. Sure, sure, far, far be it for me as well. I, you should see the, you should see the costume that, uh, that Celeste will be wearing, that Casilda will be wearing, it's quite the same color and quite appalling oh. if I do say so myself. Mm. Goody. Is it, I mean, is it like what she's wearing in the in the poster? Quite like that, yes. Oh boy. You know, I know you said there's no set date. How quickly are you being asked to put all this together? Originally they had us working very quickly and things seem to have slowed a bit. I'm hearing rumors that the composer is taking longer to compose the opera than was anticipated. I see. Is there any chance that um, this whole... I know you, you you might not know this, of course, but uh, do you think that there's any chance this whole production might simply fall through? It's something that happens sometimes. Uh, productions fall apart, creative differences occur, and you move on to the next show. I'm not sure. It it doesn't seem like it. Larsenu, Piku, they they seem on edge, but in a, in a way that makes me think that someone is going to make this thing happen one way or another. So we're going to pause the two of you there, and we're going to cut back to the cathedral at Notre Dame. And so, uh, Donald, you sit through the full service? Are you, are you, you're just you're hanging out, and you're, you're going to enjoy, enjoy the show? Yeah, I'm enjoying the show, not really knowing what's going on. I'm just kind of tapping my foot, impatient, but... It's, it's, again, it's an excuse to stay put, which is really what I want to do, so. So I think at a, at a certain point, Father Sicard is, um, is, uh, using incense around the sanctuary and is kind of walking up and down the aisles and sees you and kind of makes knowing eye contact with you, like, oh, you want to talk, don't you? Uh, like, mm-hmm. we, we can, we can talk at the end of the, at the end of the service. And so by the, the end of the service does come around and, uh, people... You know, a few people go up to the priest and, and speak with him, but he, he kind of rebuffs them and, and ends up making his way over to you and says, Hello, Donald. How how are you doing? Father, I was doing just fine until about an hour ago, well, before. Uh, the one not, certainly not your wonderful service. I, uh, though it's not my, my well, I, I'm, I was wondering if we could speak to each other. Yes, uh, come in, come, come back this way. Follow me to my office. And he, he leads you back to his office where I think at this point you probably have been yeah. a couple of times um, yeah. because you have been seeing him every once in a while over the past six months uh, because he, he asked you to, to come see him uh, and he would try to help you. And he, it seems to you at least that he, he has been doing that. So he brings you back to his office and, and sets you down. What is it, Donald? What can I... What, what, uns- what, what, what has unsettled you to, to this point? Well, Father, first... Have you received any uh, information that <laughs> this is my is my sister currently in a, a, a 
a soprano in the in the opera scene here in Paris. I I know that question seems quite ridiculous with all we've we've spoken of, but the events of this afternoon have. I saw a poster. I was with I was with Montgomery and Francis. We saw a poster for a, an upcoming opera. Eventually, uh, they, you know, they both were struck by the the white sky and black stars and the the sickening yellow tatters. And now, certainly, we've begun yet another dime novel adventure, trying to stop whatever. But I, before I even noticed any of that, before I, before I saw those horrible things that reminded me of that horrible night, I was so struck. The the girl, the the soprano, the subject of the poster, she looked so, so strikingly like my sister. I, I know how. Insane that sounds, Father, but we've both seen things and said things that, but a year ago, I'm sure both of us would have thought quite strange, so I felt I could come to you and talk about it. Do you know who the name of this this woman? She, I too have seen the posters, though I, I will admit perhaps I did not pay as close attention to them as you and your, your friends did. Do you know the young woman's name? Is, is it the same name as your sister? No, the name in the on the poster is Casilde, and the woman, her name is someone who took notes, who doesn't have their microphone muted, can say it to me. I didn't take any notes. Celeste. Uh, Celeste. Uh, Celeste. <laughs> Celeste. Yeah. Celeste. I knew that. That was the name of my neighbor, <laughs> Celeste Fulcher, when I was a boy. That was Mike speaking, not Donald. Um, uh, Celeste. Her name is Celeste, which is not my sister's name as far as I can recall. Cecilia is your sister. Cecilia, yes. <laughs> I'm so I knew, curious I what your sister's name was. <laughs> I had that brief moment of like, oh, uh, wait a minute, maybe it's not Cecilia, maybe it's Celeste, maybe I was supposed to react bigger than that. <laughs> yes, Celeste, I, I I, do believe that I I have heard of her. I, we have a, a young parishioner here at the church, someone who comes in quite often. His name is Albert. I, I believe that he has had a... A romantic relationship with this Celeste. He's spoken with me a few times. I, of course, can't go into any of the details, but uh, I assure you, Donald, that this this young woman is is not your sister. I didn't think she was. I suppose I... Well, perhaps, Father, I, I, I didn't want to look past that because uh, my friends now are, are both, once again, headfirst diving into this cesspool that we dove into of... of the paranormal, the strange, the, the obscene, the sorts of things that both you and I know far too well. I, Father, your leg bears the mark of, of these things and, and bears the, the, the risk associated. And I can't help but I can't help but fear that they're both walking headlong into a death trap once again, that they, they won't let go of the events of that night. They can't, they need to solve, to know what is unknowable. I, I, they expect me to go with them. They expect me to, to stand in again. And, and, and I just, I, I don't understand, Father. I, I don't, why me? Why again? Why now? Do you believe that you can let it go, Donald? I believe I can try. I believe I've been trying. I believe that there are certainly days where, provided I see nothing that reminds me or, or hear anything that reminds me or don't see... Don't see either of my my 
my only two true friends. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I can let it go, Father. I, we can, we can just let just about anything go. That's 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 the, the power of the human mind. I think even more importantly, Donald, if your friends walk into this again and they don't come out, do you think that you could live with that if you didn't go along? Well, there wouldn't be much to living at that point either way, so... Albert, you said the young man's name was, who had a relationship with this Celeste? Yes, uh, Albert Vanell. He... He works at his grandfather's flower shop, Fleurs Parvanel. Is that, like, is that on the way to the to the theater? Will I? Yes, I believe it is. Thank you, Father. I, I hope that the next time I I, I come here, Father, it's for you to to tell me that you've you've found my sister, that all is well and all is right, and none of this has happened and it's all been a bad dream but I have the sense that if we were to meet again it it would not be under those circumstances but I will tell you that I I hope we do uh, meet again and along those lines uh, would you happen to have any more of that solve (laughs) just in case (laughs) and I think that is where we are going to end our story for now this to Father Sicard and, and Donald. They just bring out. They just love hanging out, don't they? <laughs> they love really chatting. do. <laughs> they yeah. really they do. love talking about I'm big things. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press, and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws called Ghosts of the Garnier both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy, along with the music from the Yellow King Suite, written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. <laughs>